Renfield is up next. Welcome, everyone, to the show. It's great to have you here. We're starting the program with breaking news. This is the kind of news I never get to report. It's like once every 10 years, I get to report that a little girl who was stolen has been found alive and safe. That is Charlotte Senna. And I was about to come on the air a few hours ago talking about how it is critical in the first 48 hours after a little girl is stolen to find her because that window shuts precipitously. Charlotte made it to 37 hours. Charlotte made it within 11 minutes of the 48-hour window. Charlotte has been found. It is a remarkable story we don't get to report. 90% of kids taken usually aren't recovered. And there are so many cases of people who will watch this story and wish that they'd had the same outcome with their missing child. But tonight, the Senna family is reuniting with this little girl. There is a big story that's going to follow this. What happened? What happened to Charlotte in those last 37 hours? She was in the grips of a suspect. There's some reporting saying he is a sex offender convicted, having served time, 15 years, for the rape and plying of boys. There is other reporting that he lived just 13 miles away from her home. And still further reporting that there was a ransom note found at her home. The story began, though, Saturday night, just after 6 o'clock at night, when little Charlotte was at a state park going on a bike ride. Her parents were camping. They found the bike. They didn't find Charlotte. The APB went out. The Amber Alert went out. And the search was on. And the desperate, desperate effort to get her before those first 48 hours passed was on. 400-plus law enforcement from all different divisions descending on this area. Morrill Lake State Park, north of Albany in New York. Everyone searching for that little girl. Helicopters using heat-seeking. Dogs, horses, Human efforts out searching for Charlotte. In the end, a SWAT team all convened in an area near a home. This is what it looked like when it was announced they found her. Just listen. These are friends, family members, people who cared about this little girl, hoping to get the news that they ended up getting that we rarely ever get. I want to go right now to Brooke Schaefer, our correspondent, who's standing by live just outside of Morrill Lake State Park, where, where Charlotte disappeared from. Brooke, I can see the smile on your face. And I know that when we do these stories, I usually throw to a reporter who is not smiling like you, but I feel it's in the air, not just where those people were clapping, probably outside of her home as well, and right where you are too. Yeah, what a relief, Ashley. I mean, you're right. This is a remarkable ending to this story, an ending that Unfortunately, we don't typically get to report on. This is a good news ending. And, you know, I want to point out the timing of all of this. You're looking right now. That's uh, Charlotte's family members. They were out here at the state park. They were helping the search teams trying to find her. They were reaching, like you said, that critical 48-hour mark when we got the news that they found Charlotte not only alive, but in good health, in good spirits. Um, but yeah, that 48-hour mark, we were really getting so close to it. And I think a lot of people out here, uh, the family, friends, I think the media out here reporting, we were all kind of watching the clock. Um, a, around 4 o'clock Eastern time this afternoon, New York State Police put out an update of sorts. They said that they had about 400 
people searching on the ground here at the state park for nine-year-old Charlotte. But as of that point, they hadn't found her. About two hours later, we got the news. They were able to find her. She's in good health. Um, And I heard that she went to a hospital. She's with her mom and dad right now. The mom and dad have gone to the hospital to reunite with her. You know, Brooke, when, when the police say that she's in good health, sure, she's alive, maybe on the outside. But there is something we are going to learn in the hours uh, that are leading up to the release, the official release of the suspect's yeah. name. I can say this, that the Albany Times Union has been doing some reporting, uh, originally releasing that a, a 51-year-old man, history of sexual abuse, um, that he was arrested, uh, then taking down the, the sexual abuse history out of that report and saying instead, a uh, 46-year-old man, I'm not going to release the name because there seems to be a lot of confusion. And until the police are official with who it is they've arrested and what he is going to be charged with and what his background actually is. One can only pray that those last 37 hours that this little girl has been in his clutches um, will release her hopefully as unscathed as possible. One other question I have for you, Brooke, and I don't know if you have any um, sources on this, but the Albany Times Union also said that the house where they raided um, and arrested this suspect his family members apparently lived in that home and that the child, as well as the suspect together, may have been found in a trailer on that property. Are you hearing anything like that out there? We're still waiting to confirm that information, Ashley. I'll tell you, uh, New York State troopers at this point staying pretty tight-lipped as far as their investigation stands. We were hoping to have a press conference tonight with troopers, be able to ask those questions. They told us there will not be any press conferences from them. Uh, We know New York Governor... Hochul is expected to have a press conference in the next 30 minutes or so. So hopefully we'll get some information. But what I can tell you about this suspect, what we do have confirmed is that uh, New York State Police said that through their investigation today, they were able to find out that this suspect was apparently in the vicinity of this state park around the time that this nine year old girl disappeared. She was riding her bike around the park. She was here camping with her family. She vanished. They eventually found the bike, not her. So through their investigation, again, they had 400 people on the ground today searching for nine-year-old Charlotte. They were able to find out this suspect was in the area. They tracked down some of his known addresses, um, and then troopers went to that address. That's where they found Charlotte. Again, uh, that's the confirmed information that we have. Of course, a lot of questions uh, for New York State troopers were expecting, hoping for a press conference with them uh, tomorrow at some point. Unbelievable. Uh, One other quick note, Brooke, I want to mention here. If the report turns out to be true that there was a ransom note found at Charlotte Senna's home and yet she was taken while riding her bike on a family camping trip at Morrow Lake Park behind you, that means that this suspect may have dropped that note at the home and driven 17 miles to where that family was actually located. So there's a story that's gonna come out there. Uh, Brooke, chase that if you can and stand by. We're gonna come back to you when you hear more information. I wanna bring in Ed Smart. He's live with me. Uh, Ed, you and I, we meet on very sad occasions, mostly when a child goes missing. Uh, We first met over two decades ago when your own daughter, Elizabeth Smart, went missing from your home in Salt Lake City. Uh, Nine months later, you had the same glorious news that Elizabeth was found alive. I just want to get your take on hearing this awesome, awesome news that Charlotte Senna has been found. 
Ed, are you there? I can't hear. I'm not sure if it's just me or if it's the audience can't hear you either. You know, we just lost Ed's signal. I'm going to work on that. Um, I'm going to work on that connection for uh, for a moment. But just so you know, you know, we we have done this story so many times, where kids go missing, parents are desperate, Amber Alerts go out, law enforcement in the hundreds go on the search, and the days tick into weeks, and the weeks tick into months, and soon the names fade from the press. Ed Smart can tell you that in the nine months that Elizabeth was gone, he was desperate that Elizabeth's name was fading. And then when they found her, it was like a miracle that had never played out in the national headlines before. Here we are, 37 hours, and they found the suspect, they found the little girl. It also happens on an anniversary that is so shocking. Charlotte Senna went missing almost to the day that Polly Kloss was stolen from her home while having a sleepover with two friends. Almost to the day, a boogeyman broke into her home, Petaluma, California, and stole her at knife point away from her little friends and took her and murdered her. Class family did not get the same news that the Senna family got. Instead, two months later, they found her body. And here we are, 30 years, almost to the day later. Anniversary was yesterday. I had a chance to talk to Mark Class about what this anniversary means on a story this big. Have a listen. Mark, it is good to see you again. I feel like we do these interviews so frequently on either anniversaries of Polly's death or um, times when other crimes have similarities. But, but 30 years is very, is very different. It is a milestone unlike any other. I'm just checking in on you to see how you're doing. Well, actually, as we approach this anniversary, uh, there's a couple of things that, 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 that I have found. The first thing I... I, I uh, the first thing I'd like to reiterate, and I've said this before, is that that time doesn't heal pain, but it gives us the tools we need to manage it. So, in, in that sense, um, I'm I'm able to continue to move forward with my life. But then, on the other hand, if we could equate our heart with 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 glass, when when your heart breaks, just as when gas, glass breaks, you, you can't really put it together again. You can, you can glue this and you can glue that and you can be very, very careful, but you'll get a, a mosaic of shattered pieces as opposed to the whole piece again. And that's sort of how one carries the heartache of, of, of loss like this. I'm looking at pictures of Polly, and I remember so clearly um, covering this story as it was unfolding. And those were, those were recent pictures of her. She was 12 years old. It is hard to fathom that she would be turning 43 this January. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, it, 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 I can't get my head around that. Um, I still picture her as that, that little girl. And this is all pre-social media. When, when Polly died and her case went global, what do you think, how would it have been different had social media existed when you went through this, this tragedy? Well, there are several things that are different. And here's a good example, Ashley. We, got, we acquired a mailing list and we wanted to get as many flyers of Polly out as we possibly could. And in order to do that, we 
first acquired the mailing list, then somebody mortgaged their house so that we would be able to buy stamps. And we then got the envelopes, addressed the envelopes, put the flyers in the envelopes, took them to the post office, sent them off. And from the beginning of that process to then the end of that process took eight days. Now, with social media, if you have a missing child, you can go onto Facebook and create a missing uh, child's Facebook page. And you can put as many pictures up there as you want. You can link articles if you want. Uh, you can link interviews if you want. You can put up testimonials. You can put up video. You can do whatever you want, and it costs absolutely nothing. So that in itself is tremendous. And the whole idea, Twitter is another wonderful tool for missing people because it allows you to, in rapid time, distribute information about that missing person all over the globe. And, and, and just, bam, just like that. It's just extraordinary. So, you know, things have changed tremendously. Polly was the very first missing kid on the Internet, by the way. I don't know if you're aware of that. But no, we've come a I wasn't. Long, yeah, we've come a long, long, long way since then. And it's, it's to the benefit of all of the little kids out there who do find themselves in these desperate situations. You know, I think about the fact that Amber Alerts exist now as well, um, and there's just so much more reach. But, you know, I also think about you and being a an advocate for Polly, being an advocate for other children with classes, kids, and all the work that you've done through Foundation. Personally, when you think about her killer and what justice is, he's sitting on California death row with a moratorium, which means it's possible he'll never be executed and may die a natural death. I wonder what you are going to feel the day you learn he is dead. Well, first of all, he might outlive me. I mean, he's got a powerful advocate in Sacramento, in Governor Newsom. Um, he seems to think that this guy, that this guy has some purpose and some reason to live. I'll be honest with you, Ashley. When I find out that he's dead, I'll first of all hope that it was a miserable, painful death. And probably the second thing I'll do is pop a bottle of champagne and celebrate with my wife. I hope I get to talk to you on that day. Um, you have been through such an ordeal, 30 years long, and it doesn't even touch the iceberg below the, the pain um, that, that, that time well, doesn't well, heal. Well, let me just tell you, Ashley, listen, when Paulie was kidnapped, there were about 800,000 children a year being reported missing to law enforcement authorities in the United States. As of 2022, only 370,000 children were reported missing to law enforcement in the United States. And I like to think that that's part of Polly's legacy. The idea that we have so much more awareness now, that people are treating this issue very, very differently, uh, that children are, are getting more opportunities and they're not disappearing, whether it's through kidnapping or through running away or, or through any of a bunch of other circumstances. You know, it... It's like you. every time I interview you, um, we talk about tragedy and you turn it into hope. And you've done so much for so many just with that statistic alone. Um, from the bottom of my heart, um, my prayers go out to you and your family. And I thank you so much, Mark, for talking to me. Thank you for having me, Ashley. It's always a pleasure. 
30 years since the disappearance of Polly Class. I have other news to share with you. The New York governor, Kathy Hochul, has confirmed that there was a ransom note left at the home of Charlotte Senna's family and that fingerprints on that note helped law enforcement track the suspect. The fingerprints apparently were in the law enforcement database. So this is an incredible catch, an incredible find. If you missed it off the top of the show, folks, 37 hours. They got him in 37 hours. You have 48 before hope starts to dwindle. And they have Charlotte Senna safe in her family's arms again tonight. Uh, We're going to continue to watch this story. I also have some breaking news for you as well from Boise, Idaho. In the Idaho student murders case, we have wondered for 10, almost 11 months now, what's happened to the surviving roommates, especially Dylan Mortensen, the only witness to see that shadowy figure in the home the night those four kids were stabbed to death. Dylan Mortensen, virtually unseen in all of these months. Tonight, we have news on Dylan. We have news on what's happening with her. Her father is speaking. All that is next. It is October the 2nd, and this is the day that I was supposed to spend almost this entire show likely on location in Idaho because this is the day that we were supposed to see Brian Koberger walk into a courtroom for the beginning of his murder trial, quadruple murder trial, October 2, 2023. I never thought it would happen anyway. You never, ever have a quadruple murder trial within a year of the actual murder itself, but got scheduled, and then it got unscheduled. So instead, we have to wait 24 more days till the 26th of this month to see him in court because he's still fighting the fact that he's even there. He's fighting the indictment. And that's the day that we're going to get a judge to hear the case against throwing out the indictment. I'm going to just throw it out there. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think anyone's going to throw any indictment out. There's a lot of really solid evidence in this case, right? But there is something else that's happening, uh, not today, but tomorrow. On the 3rd of October, a book is dropping by somebody who is very, very close to the whole Idaho scene. J. Reuben Applebaum um, has written a book called While Idaho Slept, The Hunt for Answers in the Murder of Four College Students. He joins me now live. Jay, thank you for being here. I I was looking through your book and, and all the sort of revelations that you've been able to come up with. Pretty astounding stuff. The fact that you have lived in Idaho in this area for, you know, more than two decades certainly helped you to be able to make connections. But the thing I think that stood out to me the most is that you were able to talk with Dylan Mortensen's father. And Dylan has been, you know, basically in hiding since this happened, assailed just ruthlessly online. I wanted to get your take on on how our father says things are are working out for their family and how Dylan is doing. What did you find out? Ashley Banfield, hello. And first of all, that that thing about finding Charlotte that you just reported on is amazing. Amen. I've done a lot of work, done a lot of work advocating for missing and exploited children. It's just great to hear. There's a special place in hell for for some of those people um, that that abduct those little kids. Um, but to segue to what your actual question is, uh, you know, I was able to in the in the research for my book. Um, meet and speak with Brent Mortensen, Dylan's father. For those who forget, 
Dylan Mortensen is uh, one of the two survivors of the King Road homicides. Uh, in the beginning, weeks after those homicides, uh, she was basically dogpiled on on social media. Uh, many people saying that she had something to do with the crimes. Uh, many people saying that she uh, was a drug dealer. Other people saying other other strange and unusual things about her. Um, this this uh, was was part of the trauma that she experienced was the social media dogpiling. Uh, when I when I went to speak to her father, um, you know, I was able to just walk up to his house. Uh, many national news correspondents had tried the same thing. Uh, they hadn't gotten very far. He's a rather large, intimidating man. I don't know if that's part of the reason why why national correspondents couldn't sort of break that wall and talk to him. I had Idaho plates on my car. Maybe that had something to do with it. I've lived here for 25 years, almost uh, living. I live just a couple of miles from from Dylan Mortensen, actually, and, and a couple of miles in the other direction from her father. I was able to pull up to his house. He answered the door. I told him I was an Idaho guy researching this book. And I don't know if I caught him on the right day or what, but he hadn't spoken to anybody else. Uh, he had turned down the New York Times and, you know, all kinds of people. And he let me into his house and we sat at his dining room table for uh, a good 30 minutes. Uh, he had a very large dog that was uh, uh, watching me very carefully uh, and, and I think Brent Mortensen was watching me very carefully, too. He has a lot of reason to distrust uh, reporters. Uh, one of the first things that happened when Dylan Mortensen came home was the uh, several paparazzi were, were stalking her in Boise. Boise, uh, we might have a million people here, but we're certainly not used to paparazzi uh, lining, lining our streets out front of our homes. And what, what happened was a, a major international magazine uh, uh, posted a picture that, that said Dylan Mortensen on her way to Starbucks and she's wearing running shorts and whatever they said. They described her clothing as if she were, uh, you know, uh, some, some, some movie star of some sort. Uh, it turns out Brent Mortensen told me that that was actually not Dylan in that magazine that, that had splattered the picture all around, but her, her, uh, one, of, one of Brent Mortensen's other daughters, a 17-year-old who had nothing to do with this case, didn't live up in Moscow, had nothing to do how, with the people how, associated with this case. How is he processed? Like, I'm only assuming here, Jay, that prior to all of this, you know, big media and paparazzi were just not something that he'd seen before. And to be the target and to see your little girl, um, because I don't care how old Dylan Mortensen is, she's his little girl, to see her targeted the way she was and has been for the last 10 months, how is he processing it and how is she processing it well you know i spoke with him a couple of months ago now it's only just coming out because the book is coming out but but the the state i caught him in was one of uh deep heartbreak uh for his daughter for the the cyber bullying that had occurred from the the, the cyber sleuthing community uh who, who by the way has done a lot of good actually in many cases in this instance uh, a lot of harm was done to a lot of innocent people, and and he was heartbroken. He he is a big, like I said, uh, an imposing guy, but very soft spoken when he was speaking about the pain that he he was suffering in, in on behalf of his little girl, like you said, and 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 Dylan herself uh, has retreated uh, from the public eye. Very few people see her out and around. She uh, is, is in, from what I've been told, she 
uh, is is in uh, trauma therapy of sorts. She's getting help from the spiritual community. She is uh, isolating herself, but she is stepping out a little bit at a time. I, I've been told from mutual friends that she is gaming online with peers in, in group gaming sessions. And um, she's doing what she can without um, without breaking real, real, real out out into public. You know, there's so many people that that are hounding her. You know, I had a paparazzi guy tell me on the on the phone. You know, I could get you a lot of money for a photo of her, and and that's not how we work in Idaho. I mean, this isn't uh, a celebrity. How- She's not Taylor Swift. She is a victim of a horrendous crime. She was there, witnessed it. She will never be the same. This poor child not only went through that horror and lost to her best friends, but she's now been cyber bullied by just a a relentless online mob. And I I can't even imagine how she in her early 20s is coping, let alone her father having to, to watch this. I wanted to ask you one other thing that I found super interesting in your book. And that is that you found a friend of Brian Koberger's who rode the bus with him to school every day. And this this girl had some really significant insight on how Brian uh, grew up, what kind of kid he was and how other kids treated him. What was it? What was it? What was her account? Yeah. Yeah. This young this young woman had, had told me and she wished not to be named, but but she told me a, a, quite a bit about him. She she said that he was bullied almost constantly as, as a junior high student, as was she. They were both nerds who who didn't fit in. She said um, they were very close. They they sat together on the bus almost every day. Uh, Brian Koberger, she said, listened to music in, in his earbuds. Uh, to, to block out the bullying, to block out the, the sort of chaos and darkness of the time period that he was living through. She said that the administrators of their schools uh, did nothing about bullying at the time. Uh, so Koberger will walk around the halls listening to screamo uh, music and uh, at times hip hop and rap. She, she said that if you were in junior high and you were bullied by somebody near your locker, uh, that can, which is how junior high students integrate basically you know who's next to your locker right um that continued into high school because the lockers were assigned alphabetically in pleasant in the pleasant valley district which she called by the way colloquially um pregnant valley because she said there's there's rampant um teen pregnancy and and uh lots of social social based issues and uh, you know, it, it just sounded like a really dark place. And what free, what we know from other reporting from the Idaho Statesman, my my good buddy here in in town, he you know th- there's a lot of a lot of heroin use, a lot of oxycontin use, a lot of drugs, a lot of darkness. And Brian Koberger, as a really heavily bullied student, uh, slid really easily into that. We know about his drug use. Uh, what what we didn't know so much is the constant bullying that she talked about. I, and at I'm... some point. I'm fascinated in that only because that will be something that his defense attorney will seize upon if he's convicted. And if there's a secondary, uh, you know, trial for the death penalty, they will bring that in potentially as some kind of a mitigating factor. Hey, uh, J. Ruben Applebaum, I have to leave it there. The book comes out tomorrow. It is called While Idaho Slept, The Hunt for Answers in the Murder of Four College Students. I'm going to call on you again. You've got some great insight. You've done some fantastic interviews. Thank you for this. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Have a good one.
it's it's good to see you. And also, I'm just going to reiterate what Jay just said. Thank God that this little girl in upstate New York has been found, Charlotte Senna. Uh, it turns out we've got more breaking news. They, the authorities were going to have a press conference tonight. They called it off. And I've just learned that it is back on. I'm going to squeeze in a very quick break. And I've got the live shot up and running. When we come back after the break, more details on the suspect who was arrested in the kidnapping of nine-year-old Charlotte Senna. She is safe and sound. And in her family's arms, they have gone to the hospital to see her. We're back in just a few minutes. Stay with us. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. There are two things that I can tell you in my line of work. Number one, in 35 years of being a TV news broadcaster, I can tell you we don't often get a lot of breaking news at 10 o'clock at night, Eastern. Okay, so that's number one. And that is defied tonight because Charlotte Senna, nine years old, has been found alive and well. She's in the hospital. And when I say well, I'm going to temper that. She's alive and she's in the arms of her family. Thank Jesus. How well she is, I do not know because she spent the last 37 hours in the clutches of a kidnapper, a suspect who is now himself behind bars awaiting charges. There's a lot of details floating around on the internet about who this person is. The name We've had several names, we've had several ages, we've had lots of stories. But we do know one thing, and that is that the New York governor herself, Kathy Hochul, confirmed that there was a ransom note left by the suspect who they arrested, allegedly, at the home of this little girl and her family, about 15 miles away from his home and about 17 miles away from where they were camping, which would indicate that the suspect left a ransom note at the home of the child and then perhaps followed this family on a camping trip because Charlotte, just after six o'clock at night on Saturday night, was snatched from her bike when she was on a bike ride during the camping trip with her family. This happened at a state park in upstate New York. 400 plus officers descended on this search using everything, thermal seeking, dogs, human assets, marshals, state authorities, local police, all of this right around the Albany area, the capital of New York State. Kathy Hochul herself, the governor of this state, is about to take to a podium at any moment. I want to just get that shot up if I can and split the screen so that I can keep an eye because she is about, my clock, about nine minutes in to the, sta- to the planned start of this news conference. So let's just, let's just keep that shot up on half the screen if we can just to watch because obviously they're getting the last pieces of information um, before they take to the, uh, to the podium. Usually they have an assistant come out there, might be this guy right here, check the audio, check that the right press is in line, getting ready for the governor, giving the one to two minute warning. But one thing that Kathy Hochul did say, the governor, is that there were fingerprints found on the ransom note at the family's home and that the fingerprints were tracked in a law enforcement database to the suspect they arrested. Once they got the fingerprints and they put it in the database, they were able to find who they were looking for. And there are reports from the Albany Times Union newspaper 
that they went to his home where family members of his lived and that possibly the child was found in a trailer on that home. I want to bring up the sound full because we see law enforcement filing in behind the podium, which usually means the governor and the speaker is coming in at any moment. I don't want you to miss a moment of this. This is just such incredible news. The other thing, as a 35-year veteran of broadcasting, I don't get to report very often that a child who's been missing is found alive. And tonight, I'm able to do that. Breaking news at 10 o'clock, unusual. Breaking news that a child has been found alive, especially after 37 hours in his clutches. We all know that 11 hours later, the window would have closed at 48 hours, where your chances of recovering a child alive diminish precipitously. Any crime, in fact, trying to solve any crime after the first 48, become, it becomes more and more difficult at any given moment. But among these officials that you're seeing shuffling in behind this podium, um, New York State Police uh, are involved as well because this is their headquarters. It's in a place called Latham, New York. It's not far from the state capital of Albany. But this was a multi-agency effort, as it usually is. When an amber alert goes out, all hands on deck. Every officer available from any agency far and wide gets involved. And that's the way you find these kids. You heard Mark Class earlier in this broadcast say they didn't have that when Polly was taken 30 years ago yesterday. 30 years ago yesterday, Polly was stolen from her bedroom. And the APB only went out to some locals. If it had gone out wider, they would have found that guy because he ditched his car in a driveway not far away. And Polly might have been found alive. We don't know. But this time it worked. The Amber Alert went out. It went out everywhere. And over 400 officers searched for little Charlotte Senna. And they got her. And they found a ransom note. And they found a guy. Hopefully tonight when we get this news conference underway, we're going to find out who that guy is. And if some of the reports we had earlier that he is a convicted sex offender, that he spent 15 years behind bars, and that he was allegedly uh, supposed to be in bar, or behind bars for molesting young boys after plying them with drugs. Those are the stories that have been in the press, but they've been taken out of the press. We've heard about a 46-year-old person. We've heard about a 51-year-old man arrested. So we're waiting on the official uh, information, hopefully from the governor and from the state police, etc., before we say anything more about who it is or give any photographs. Uh, but just incredible news. I also just wanted to remind you, if you're just tuning in at 1042 Eastern Time live, that our Brooke Schaefer here at News Nation was able to confirm that the family of Charlotte Senna uh, was rushed to the hospital to reunite with their daughter. That little girl obviously rescued from the home that they raided and taken right to the hospital. Uh, her family taken in immediately. Let's listen in as the officials uh, continue to file into this press conference. Good evening. This is a very good day. It's been a long two days, but tonight our prayers have been answered. We're overcome with relief and gratitude for this gift to all of us. And it is the people standing here with me that remind me why I'm so proud to be the governor of this state. Incredible men and women who were relentless in their pursuit of finding this little girl. Yesterday, I held Charlotte's parents in my arms. David and Trish, I went to the campsite. I saw the place that she had just been a joyful little girl the day before. Riding her bike, because I was on the road she rode her bike on. Saw where she left it. 
And her parents were just so overcome with sadness and grief. And as a parent, I thought my own heart was breaking. And I said to them, I promise you this, we will bring Charlotte home to you. And as each hour went on, hope faded because we all know the stories. The first 24 hours, there's hope. But when you hit 48 hours, hope starts to wane. But when Charlotte disappeared in Moreau State Park, it was every parent's worst nightmare. But I knew I would be able to have assembled the team of individuals who would not stop. And I want to thank at this moment the individuals gathered here tonight and all the men and women across this state that they represent. And the FBI brought in their Okay, we're losing that signal, um, but we're working to get that reestablished. She's thanking some of those local officials. She just mentioned the FBI. Let's keep that shot up on the right-hand side if we can. I'd far rather see the shot come back. There, let's listen in. Major Dennis Shager, for their work, New York State Park Police, Colonel Michael Dedona, the Office of Parks and Historic Preservation, Chief of Staff Randy Simons, Saratoga County Sheriff's Department, Lieutenant Jeffrey O'Connor, the Schenectady County Sheriff's Office, represented by the Schenectady Police Department, Police Department of Schenectady, Detective Sergeant Bradley Carlton, the Federal Bureau of Investigation acting agent in charge, Alfred Watson, who I met yesterday on site, New York State Department of Corrections and Community Services, acting commissioner Daniel Marticello, New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Forest Rangers, Basil Sagos. As I mentioned, when you hit that 48-hour moment, you realize it's going to be tough. And you start thinking the worst. But what happened was extraordinary. The case started to break at 4.20 a.m. this morning. When the family's home that was being guarded by state police, when the parents... We're still starting another day at the campsite where they last seen their daughter. 4.20 a.m., the car pulls up to a mailbox. Something is left. State police immediately go to the mailbox and identify what is a ransom note that had been left behind for Charlotte. State police worked diligently trying to find a match for a fingerprint. First one tried and wasn't successful. Second one was to identify any other prints in the New York State database that would be a match. The hit came at 2.30 in the afternoon. There had been a DWI in 1999 in the city of Saratoga. A fingerprint was found that matched what was found on the ransom note. So, a little more research, work, identify the location, and identifying the fact that there was a home they could visit. They found a double-wide house with a woman, the suspect's mother. The suspect lived in the camper behind. 
they have what they call a dynamic entry, a tactical maneuver, and within the camper they located the suspect. After some resistance, the suspect was taken into custody and immediately the little girl was found in a cabinet, cupboard. She was rescued and she knew she was being rescued. She knew that she was in safe hands. Her parents were immediately notified. This occurred at 6.32 this evening. The suspect, 47-year-old male named Craig Nelson Ross Jr., is still being questioned. At this moment, charges have not been brought, but they are fully expected. The daughter was transported. The daughter was transported to local hospital, as is customary. And that's all the family wishes to reveal at this time. But they are united. She is in good hands. She appeared to be outwardly physically unharmed at the time. But we'll leave the rest of this information about little Charlotte to her family at a time they deem appropriate. Often these stories don't end up like this. Every second is key. There's a lot of pressure. Split decisions are made. Because you know, not just a life is hanging in the balance, but a little innocent child's life is hanging in the balance. So to the teams behind me, you work quickly. You work with great urgency. You put it together, the puzzle pieces. You're able to track down the location of Charlotte through technology. But ultimately, it was the two SWAT teams, one federal, one state, that landed in helicopters in Boston Spa to rescue Charlotte. Still pretty overwhelming because all of us feared the worst. But I promise you, Trish and Dave, they be reunited with little Charlotte once again, and she see her two sisters, one ten, one four years old. And obviously it's a traumatic event for the family and certainly Charlotte. And we'll continue to keep this family in our prayers as they heal. But she'll be going home. That's the story. Charlotte will be going home. That's all I have to say on the details. Certainly there will be many more coming out with respect to the suspect and how that case will proceed. But I want to thank the media for their intense interest and the 400 volunteers who would not give up for 400 individuals from law enforcement, fire departments, city, county, state, and federal. It was an awesome sight to witness up at the state park yesterday. Everyone doing their job, but also there are a lot of parents out there among the ranks. And everybody thinks, if it was my child, I would want everybody under the sun looking for them. And that's what this team did. 
So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. You're part Cheryl at home. Any questions? What was connected the uh, agencies involved in this case? Charlotte's uncle was a member of the police department in Schenectady. I understand if that's not correct. Someone Fire. correct me. Fire department. Fire department. Fire department. Fire department. Was the suspect known to the family? It has not been determined that the suspect was known to the family. News 10. Was Charlotte um, randomly targeted, or did he know the family? That is what will be revealed after more extensive questioning. Uh, the vehicle registered to the suspect. The address in the database was two miles from Charlotte's home, but it is not known at this time whether he knew her or had her under surveillance for any length of time. Sean? Governor, can you say, you said a letter was delivered. Was it delivered by mail carrier? Was it delivered by a third party? Do you have that information at this point? It appears that it was by the suspect himself, uh, that he literally drove up to the family's mailbox assuming they were not home, 4.20 in the morning, opens the mailbox and inserts the ransom note, leaving a critical piece of evidence behind his own fingerprint. And I would assume the, the car details were also taken into consideration at that point in the same process. There was a, it happened very quickly. Obviously it's dark, it's 4.20 in the morning. So it's hard to get a description of the vehicle, but uh, there was some sense of the type of vehicle at the time when they left. So as they're piecing together all the evidence, uh, it came together when they did the fingerprint match. It leads you to a name, it can lead you to a vehicle, and that's why we know that uh, he had a home. His mother's home is where he was found. Again, double-wide trailer, mother lives there, double-wide home. He lives in a camper in the back, or at least he was there. But he also had his name was registered uh, to a vehicle, uh, and the address was a home two miles from where Charlotte lived. And this just came out of nowhere. He just showed up at 4.30 in the morning. Apparently so. Can I say anything? Have you spoken to Charlotte at all or Charlotte's family since she's been found? Uh, I've made a number of inquiries to the family. Uh, this is a traumatic time for them as they're going through, you know, her health, taking care of her health right now, and um, I'll be speaking to the parents soon, as soon as I can. You said there was some resistance with the suspect. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Uh, when we made the dynamic entry into the residence, he did um, give our sword operators, our SWAT um, people, some resistance in there. He was taken into custody. He did suffer some very minor injuries, um, but it was relatively, relatively minor, not, nothing big on the scuffle. Um, Great. Thanks, still, everybody. There's still, I just want to say there's still a lot of searches go underway. The, the home that he was registered to, a lot of information. Uh, and so you want to make sure that he's not connected with any other cases. So that uh, that's why it's a, a still an ongoing investigation. But uh, at this time, there's no evidence of that. Well, what, yeah, the search, what was the extent like of the search in terms of the scope area that um, you know investigators, searchers were looking at? I'll let you answer, Caroline. But uh, are you asking about at the park? Let's go beyond the park. I've heard reports that it was beyond the park as well. The original scope of the ground search was within the park. Um, the information we received that took us to Boston Spa was obviously outside the park. We had no search ground search operations going on outside the park, other than leads we were running down 
um, that we were developing throughout the two days. Great, thank you. Okay, it's a letter today. We're not going to disclose that. I would say the biggest thing is you look at all these people behind us. It's cooperation of all the agencies. Um, you know, we don't work in silos. We have to work together to, to accomplish something like this. And you can never be too careful with your kids. You know, pay attention to where they're at, what they're doing. You know, things can happen. In, in an instant. You know, Charlotte was no more than probably two-tenths of a mile from where she was camping in a small area, and she was gone for for her to ride her bike around that loop would take her about four minutes, five minutes. You know, see, so you, you think they're safe doing that at nine years old, but you, you just got to be cognizant and be paying attention to things around you, your surroundings all the time. You know, these things happen in a hurry, and unfortunately today this, this ended in the right way. Will there be any, any idea on the motive? Will there be any security protocols moving forward? We'll be doing an after-action report to identify any areas where the state parks can make any improvements. But uh, obviously this is a very random incident, and basically anyone who comes in and out of that park will have come through a certain entryway. Uh, their name is, uh, they purchase a ticket. You have their name in a database, so you know, that is why that's also helpful to identify uh, who's in the park? So that's that's also in a sense a security measure, because we always know who's in the park. Did the suspect enter through the main gate? We don't have any. We don't know how the you know, how Did many you gates. Two helicopters. Was the arrest affected by the helicopters or the ground? The they, uh, the arrest wasn't done by helicopter because of the the seriousness of this incident. We we brought in um, sword operators from throughout the state. And to expedite this, because obviously it was very time sensitive, we, we flew about 10 of our sword operators from downstate to be here to help with this entry. We had probably, we normally operate about six or eight people on a team. We had probably 20 sword operators make this entry with, with an FBI regional SWAT team. Tell them what the sword stands for. Uh, what sword stands for is, is our special operations response team. They are, are like most agencies have a SWAT team. We do that type of thing with our with our sword operators. They're full time in that capacity, but they also do other things that normal SWAT teams don't do. We respond to high angle rescue and different things with that team. They're they're a highly trained, highly capable unit that we use for just this type of thing. This is what they train for. This is what they they live for is to to make entries like this and, and save someone's life. All right, thank, thank you, everybody. You. And there you have it, 47-year-old Craig Nelson Ross Jr. Behind bars tonight, charges forthcoming. We don't know what yet, but what a story. They descended upon a double wide. He lived in the camper behind. His mom lived in the double wide. They did a dynamic entry. You know what that means. SWAT descended upon that structure. Inside that camper, they found not only the suspect who resisted and was my, had minor injuries from his resistance, but they found little Charlotte Senna in a cabinet, covered in a cabinet, and rescued her from that camper. Outwardly physically unharmed, Governor Hochul said. She was outwardly physically unharmed. But she's leaving it to the family to disclose anything else. Usually we can read into what that means.